Hey, this is Gerds Handel, and welcome to the Inner Light Project. This show is for anyone who's wanting to lead a happier, healthier, and enlightened life. Create more self-love, inject more joy and abundance into their daily life. Join me for inspiring interviews and spiritual topics so you can shine your inner light. Hello and welcome to the Inner Light Project. My name is Gerd Sandel and today I want to share with you somebody who is helping people to heal their ancestral money trauma so they can finally unlock their inner money guru and thrive in their life. Vanille Makwa is an emotional intelligence and financial behavior expert. She is the author of Heat, Mind and Money, Using Emotional Intelligence for Financial Success. Hi Vanille, I'm so grateful to have you on the show and thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Good. It's so lovely to be here. Oh bless you, I'm just really excited just from the conversation we've just had earlier. I just, I know this is going to be a very powerful interview. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited as well. The conversation. I feel like, oh my gosh, that conversation could have been recorded as well. True. I was thinking that as well. <laughs> oh bless you. Oh gosh. So I just want to go back to your life before. So you've been on this amazing journey of helping people to really come back home to their money traumas and really take power of their money. But what was your life like before you became the founder of Wealthy Money? Oh my gosh, I became the founder of Wealthy Money because my life was a hot mess. So before I started Wealthy Money, I really struggled. Actually, I started Wealthy Money after even working through this, but the very first time I struggled with money. So I just finished my MBA program in the US. I'd been traveling, I'd been using credit cards to travel. Before that, I had graduated with a finance degree from the University of Cape Town. Then I moved to Boston in the middle of my travels to go do my MBA. And my entire idea for doing my MBA was really a financial one. Was that, Mm -hmm. you know what, I've done the travel thing. I'm just tired of always stressing about money and using credit cards. And I was already in credit card debt. And I was 25 at the time. And I was like, man. I've seen all these countries, but I, and I've lived in all these countries at the time I've been traveling straight for about three years. Mm. And I was like, I need to make real money so that I can keep traveling or building a life, you know? So off I go, I do this MBA and the weirdest thing happened. Like as soon as I graduated, it was like my mind flipped a switch and I started having panic attacks with money. So every time I would manage money or hold money or go to the ATM to withdraw money, I would have these panic attacks, you know? Wow. It was so, so frustrating. And eventually, um, I always share the story about the height of my panic attacks when I realized this cannot go on. This can't be my life. I was on my way to a Bank of America ATM. I was living in, um, I would go to Haymarket. That was before I even moved to Haymarket. I loved that neighborhood. So I would, I was on my way to withdraw money and my panic attack hit. And instead of getting to the ATM, 
I ended up spending like an hour on the sidewalk trying to nurse myself to breathe properly because like the just the idea of seeing myself just when I saw me managing money and holding on to money like something in me was just like no sis we're not doing this you know (laughs) and I was just panicking and I was like this can't be my life because and as I say this all the time when you're struggling with something like this for most of the world whatever it is if you're having panic attacks around speaking getting on a stage or work going to work for most people it's just like you get up you go to work for example mm-hmm. like for most people it's like you you decide to go to the atm you go to the atm for a person that's struggling with something like um panic attacks or anxiety around money or worry around money everything takes it can take the whole day your whole 24 hours in the day can revolve around going to do that one action going to the ATM, sending out an invoice. So anything around money would take me hours. Like it would, like the mental work just to get that one activity done was insane for me. So then I decided at that point, I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I was like, this can't go on. The sad thing is that I had been to therapy before, but I was like, it was for other stuff in my family. And I was like, I don't know anyone that deals with money and these particular money issues. You know, I tried looking online. I was like, where do I get help? And then I was like, okay, there's also the other hurdle is that I felt such deep shame. So I didn't want people to know. Right. Mm. So I, yes, there was no one that could really help me, but I was also not, that was dealing with it at the levels that I knew I had to deal with it on. And, but at the same time, I was also like, I feel so ashamed. I couldn't even talk about money. And right after that, I was in a relation, I got into a relationship and in that relationship, the guy was offering to pay my debt back, which was $60,000. Can I tell you how I flipped? I (laughs) lost my mind. That's why I ended up paying my own debt back. Because I couldn't talk about money. Mm -hmm. I mean, just listen to the ridiculousness of this. What I heard was I would like to, what he said was, I would like to pay back your debt. What I heard was, you are incompetent. You cannot pay back your own debt. This is why I want to do it for you. We would have daily arguments about this and I know people like watch this I always laugh and I'm like it's like when I watch movies now when people are like that I'm like oh this is so stupid why would someone (laughs) be arguing with the guy who paid for (laughs) who like who got them the promotion or something and I and then I have to check myself and be like remember that was your trauma before Mm. you couldn't you couldn't receive So anyways, you can imagine this was really hectic for my life in so many, in every area of my life. So that's how I went on a journey around really understanding the link between money and emotions. As I said, I am a finance graduate and I did do my MBA and my focus was on strategy and entrepreneurship. So I knew that 
the actual thing around numbers, like if you gave me anything around numbers, a spreadsheet, a balance sheet, an income statement till this day, never had a problem with it because it's mm-hmm. theoretical. But when it came to me, it was crazy. It's just like I couldn't, it became personal because I was being triggered. And that's how I came to this work because I then decided I'm going to go to Vipassana. And when I was at Vipassana, I stayed, you take, you do 10 days of silence, right? And you meditate. And I was able to see how in those 10 days, nothing was happening financially. Nobody was asking me to pay for things. Nobody was asking me to go to the ATM, nothing. Everything was catered for me. And yet what I was able to see, because at Vipassana, they talk about like how you meditate, you meditate to see the habit pattern of the mind. My every second thought was about money, not having enough of it, stressing about it, just about money. And it was causing such havoc on my body. And I started to realize, wow, my stress around money has absolutely zero to do with what is happening out there. You know, it actually has everything to do with what I am going through in this moment, you know. Uh, and who I am in this moment. And it's just a program that is running consistently without me checking it, without me doing anything. I don't even have to be dealing with money. It's just that my mind has been trained to think about money constantly. And a lot of that came from my teen years because there were so many arguments about money on a daily basis in my family, my mom had lost a job. My mom had gone from making lots and lots of money to the point where she didn't even know when she got paid with her salary mm. because she had, her businesses were making her so much money to giving up her businesses because she didn't want to take care of the family anymore, giving them to my uncle. So there's a little bit of the patriarchy in there. Wow. My mom was such a staunch feminist, but My uncle had studied in Germany, came back from exile after um, uh, Nelson Mandela was released from prison. And so he was able to then come back as a freedom fighter into South Africa. And my mom was like, he studied in the West. And and if you think about how people are educated in apartheid South Africa, it was like Western education is best. So he'll take my businesses a step further. But my uncle, who had a master's in electric in electric engineering, all these things that actually kind of played into why the family believed it'd be great with money, turned out to actually be the opposite with my, with money. My mom was great with money. So that entire situation and how our nervous systems in that time were completely dysregulated. My mom feeling powerless, her losing all this money in her adulthood, everything. She'd quit her job, everything. Because she also believed that my uncle would help take care of her. There was just like a lot of layers around the view of patriarchy, the trauma Mm -hmm. that came from that, the belief that the West was better than the way that we did things, was better at, at things than we were. It was just just like all these layers led to a lot of fights, arguments, and then nervous system dysregulation for me. So any, it felt unsafe to have money. It felt unsafe not to have money. So there was just no place for me to feel safe. So no wonder I was in a state of 
constant panic Mm -hmm. as an adult around money, you know, because having money felt definitely unsafe because it also led to family arguments and fights. Having no money felt unsafe because it also led to family arguments and fights. Which is us. So then I had to do the work around that. So yeah, that's yeah. how I came to do this work. Wow. What a journey. Wow. <laughs> I'm absolutely blown away, but wow, it just shows. Wow. When you you truly pay attention to the signs and you listen from within, you're able to see what's holding you back and why. And it makes sense why, you know, money was such a fear for you and the anxiety when you'd go to, to the cash point. It all makes sense because it was bringing up the trauma from the past that you'd gone through. Exactly. So every time I handled money, I'd be triggered. And, you know, I think that we always think that we would know when we're so deeply triggered and it would be obvious memories. But I hadn't, but it's not always the big things because people think that trauma is the big things. But I always say to people, trauma can be a small incident where mm-hmm. you notice as a child that whenever money was being discussed or whenever your mom had money, her nervous system dysregulated or your caregivers had money, you were, as a child, you co-regulate to your, to your caregiver's nervous system, right? Mm. Or nervous systems. And so if you just notice a subtle shift, even if they weren't behaving erratically, they weren't saying anything, but suddenly the minute that they had money in their hands, their nervous systems completely dysregulated in some way. So then you start to associate nervous system, your nervous system learned to dysregulate whenever money was involved and you don't understand what's going on. And as a child, you don't have the resources to process or even think, wait, this always happened when money was involved, which was the case in my family, you know? So it's like, I remember my uncle used to have this rule, money is not discussed with us, with the kids. But he would also tell us that like, money is not great. Look at what it's doing to the family, you know? So, but I'm like, we can see what it's doing to the family. So why are you guys trying to pretend that this isn't happening? Mm. So I think this is, This is what happens a lot. We think that if I just positively think, if I positive think enough and I smile enough and I pretend it's not happening, then it's really, then the kids won't pick it up. The next generation of people around me won't pick it up. But people do absolutely pick up what you're, what's happening within your nervous system uh, because we are human and nervous systems speak to each other, which is why we have that thing that we call it energy sometimes where we like yeah. your energy is your currency. No, it's more like your nervous system regulation or dysregulation is your true currency. Mm. <laughs> so true. And it, you know, it's so interesting you're saying this because even like well, I, I've done quite a bit of work on my own money trauma growing up. And I see yeah. like, like kind of slightly similar, but slightly different stories. But like I saw lots of money coming in and then lots of money going up, down. And mm-hmm. that's my relationship, just like yours in my mid twenties was yeah. exactly the same. It'd come up like, yes, then it'd go. And I'm like, oh no. And then I didn't know how to really feel safe with money. And it was only till my, probably my late twenties at that time where I learned to slowly to trust myself and feel safe with money and that it was okay to have more um because I would feel Mm. guilty which was really strange I used to feel really bad having extra more and then I would just like spend it to then feel better again (laughs) oh yeah 
<laughs> the guilt is actually quite normal if we have a vow of loyalty to our families. Mm. And so as kids, right, where do you learn how to live? Where mm. do you learn how to navigate life? Yeah. It's usually within the family unit, right? Mm. So it's normal as an adult that we would be these adults that completely emulate and mirror our families when it comes to financial behavior, because that's where we learned how to live and how to deal with money. And we would do it subconsciously. Our inner child and our inner teen would have come to the conclusion that dealing with money in this manner is what keeps you alive. And they would have moved forward and done exactly that, you know, try to keep us alive by emulating this behavior. So it's not quite uncommon. Um, okay. So what else was I going to say? Okay. So that's, that's not, that is actually more common than we actually understand. Um, excuse me. And I was going to say, um, when, when we're loyal to our families, we tend to behave in the same way as they behave because it's so unconscious. So if you grew up in a family where there was not a lot of money, having a lot of money will suddenly feel unsafe because you never ever saw that happening because the subconscious mind has started to associate lack of money, even though it was stressful, as the thing that keeps you alive. Because remember, the, the subconscious mind goes all the way into the past to, receive, to retrieve data to say, hey, what has kept us alive up until this point? Oh, okay, this is what has kept this human being alive up until this point. So this is how we have to keep behaving. The subconscious mind isn't here to get us to expand and grow financially and to live our best lives. It is here to make sure that tomorrow we are still breathing, just mm -hmm. basic survival, right? So I think that's, um, that's quite common if you look at it that way as to why we then emulate financial behavior, uh, our family's financial behavior. So if you didn't have uh, lots of money growing up and you suddenly come into lots of money and you have the capacity to make lots of money, you may have to, you may go through insane cycles of boom and bust. Um, <laughs> if you have, um, oh, yeah, sorry, I just had a realization right now about for something that I'm working on for my next book. So if you have uh, booms and you'll have booms and busts, but if you also grew up in a family where you watched your parents go through cycles of feast and famine, you will experience that, which is actually my story. Like I grew wow. up in a family where like people made insane amounts of money and also found insane ways to blow up that money, you know, like where yeah. people can have like lots and lots of money in one go and then like really get rid of lots and lots of money in the same, in like a matter of a week or two. Wow. So I had to work on my capacity to do that because whenever people are like, how does someone spend a million dollars? I'm like, Hmm, like I could, I could think of ways, you know, like I, I'm sure there are ways. <laughs> How does someone spend that in like two, three weeks? I'm like, oh yeah, no, I, I'm pretty sure there are ways to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
it, it makes sense it, it really does make sense and it, it's I guess it's yeah. all like it's to do with the energy of money like you said it's not just the upbringing but yeah. it's the energy of how you feel about it and absolutely processing your emotions about it as well and I think a lot of us don't process so a lot of people when they get bills they get stressed out but they don't think if they've thought of it in a different way like it's helping you in different ways then you'd feel good about money because um, mm, like I used to be I fearful agree. do you know when the bills would come up like, oh my god oh my god and it would get worse and then I realized this yeah. was a few years back I was just like thank you thank you okay cool thank you thank you and the more I did that the yeah. more I felt safe in my nervous system and I started to realize like the solar plexus how stressed I would be back in the day about money and I'd just feel fearful but now it's just like more flow and it's like thank you mm, mm. Just that deep fear that there's just not enough money, right? Ah. Yeah, yeah. But again, it wasn't my pattern. It was a pattern that I grew up with, which I didn't realize. And I saw my parents doing that. And it was like, oh, now I get it. (laughs) Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, I realize this. Yeah, yeah, no. And we do it. And it's so natural. I think the thing part of the thing that we've just been discussing earlier, right, is that people have been taught that money is just numbers on a screen and it's just paper. And if you're just logical about it, how often have you heard that if you just have no emotions around money, then then you'll do well with money? That is true. But the truth is before we can get to neutrality, we need to process all the other emotions that we still have around money. We need to Mm. process and integrate the trauma and the memories so that we don't get triggered by money. Then it becomes easier to get to neutrality. And people are always like, but don't you want to get to joy and all that around money? I'm like, not really. If you get to neutrality, then you're able to just look at money from a very neutral standpoint. And if you're always feeling happy, oh, because I have money and, oh, like working on, oh my gosh, I have more than enough money. I have more than enough money. And you're working on that joy factor when you have money, then what happens the day that you don't have money? It has the capacity to completely throw you off kilter. Mm. But if you get to a point where you're neutral, whether or not you have money, then you're able to really do some incredible things with money. Money doesn't have that charge. So if you're always, if your happiness is depending, is dependent on having money, you're always going to be really sad if you don't have money, right? And if you keep, affirming that, oh, I have lots of money, even when you don't have money, right? And the parts of you are freaking out and feeling unsafe. Those parts of you that are feeling deeply unsafe are going to rebel because they're going to turn the volume all the way up so that they can get your attention because they're going to be thinking, why is this woman not getting me? Like I am feeling unsafe, you know? Mm. Why is she not understanding that this is what's happening in my body? So I think that's something to really, really understand when it comes to money and um, our affirmations and what's going on is that we can actually, it can actually 
feel like gaslighting. And I actually do tell my clients that when you're feeling a really intense emotion or even a subtle emotion, and then you're suddenly aware of it, you and then you don't want to sit with it and integrate it and work through it. And instead you tell yourself that it's not happening. That is gaslighting because would you do that to your own child? Would you do that to your best friend? If your best friend came to you and was like, I'm so stressed about money, would you go, no, you're not. You're happy about money. You know, money feels good. But how many people do that to themselves, right? They look at what's happening and then they start doing that. But when you think about it in terms of your best friend, we would all be like, what did you? hear what she said are you like the most horrible person everyone would be horrified and yet we're so okay with doing that with uh, to ourselves Mm. which is so so deeply disconcerting yeah that's why it's so important to have a deep connection and and feel deal and heal your trauma um from within because yeah it, it it really does help you to realize what kind of relationship you're having with yourself. We're not just even just with yourself, with your money, with your partner, with everything around you. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So I think that for me is the one thing that I've realized uh, that I realized. And also about the ancestral piece, I remember when I was really in the depths of my depression. So when I was really struggling with money, I was so depressed. I couldn't get out of bed. Um, It really, really was a bad time for me for about two years. Because at this, by this point, when I was dealing with the depression, I think it was also more exacerbated by the point that now I've realized that I've now accepted that I have these panic attacks, but I don't know where to start. Mm. But then the shame of it, the shame of realizing that you're dealing with the panic attacks and then realizing that you've got this education and your parents have spent so much to help you get here. And everyone around me just seemed to be doing so well financially. I truly believed I was the only one in the world (laughs) that had money issues. I truly did. And I can't explain to people, like I thought me and my family were the only people that struggled with money issues. Mm. And I think a huge part of that was because everyone in the world was walking around looking so put together when I was falling apart. And now, obviously, as I do the work that I do, I'm like, oh, my gosh, everyone has money issues. Like yeah. trust fund kids have money, <laughs> have money issues. Yeah. Like I'm just like, wow. But I think it's so deeply sad that we live in a world where so we don't talk about money so openly. So when mm. people are struggling with money issues, they don't know that like this is normal, right? We don't normalize it. We don't normalize getting help, all that. So a friend of mine actually asked me, is this, uh, um, you come from a family of shamans. So don't you think that part of your issues around money are not just yours alone? You know, so maybe this depression is not yours, Mm. just solely yours, you know? So maybe a part of it is yours, but not every part of it is yours. Oh my gosh. Like, can I tell you how life-changing that was? Because I was then, I, as soon as he said that, I was like, yes, of course I'm from this family. Let me look into this. And that's how I started my work around money and um, ancestral money trauma, you know, Mm. because I was like, 
No freaking way. I literally just went back into everything that I've been taught, especially by my mother around ancestors and working with the ancestors and how she would um, talk to our ancestors every morning and evening and the rituals she would do. And then I just tried to remember the things that she would do and say and things that she had taught us about like ancestral stuff and all that. Because I was like, well, ancestral uh, work really is more, is something that indigenous communities have done forever, mm. you know? So it's just about understanding that and then understanding how it fits into the trauma framework, which was a complete game changer for me. So that also helped a lot. Wow. What a journey. Wow. <laughs> a crazy journey. Yeah. But it just shows that why it's so important to do the work, right? Like, because you're healing for the next yeah. generation. You know, you've made paved waves that your ancestors would be so grateful for and um, just seeing that. Because yeah. they had to go through that as well. Then it was handed down next generation after generation. And here mm. you are just living that empowered truth that they always wanted to be. That's just amazing. Yeah, um, yeah I know. It really, really is amazing. And I honestly feel deeply grateful for it. Yeah, yeah. And it's amazing as well, like in this time and day where we are right now like how powerful so many amazing women are just building things from scratch and it's just yeah so beautiful see to see like again like our ancestors especially our female ancestors would have just dreamt of this moment yes yes definitely like I just I feel that way most times hey I feel like I do this for the female ancestors that couldn't do this mm. you know I definitely feel like there's a huge thing around that because a huge part of the work that I do also and that I teach about is womb trauma and how that ties into money you know because it's like we're carrying so much of the collective uh, trauma of the feminine for one in the womb so we've learned as women, we have the trauma around being fully visible. If you think about like women that stood out in history and how they paid for it so dearly, yeah. that is a kind of vicarious trauma that all women that were observing this were being taught. The nail that stands out gets beaten down. So they learn to survive mm. by invisibilizing themselves and really, really shutting down, right? And playing nice, being the nice girls to survive this world of patriarchy, right? Because I'm yeah. pretty sure that most women are not actually that nice deep down. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't mean that they mean, but I don't feel like they are walkovers, you know? Mm. Whereas there's this view of the feminine that the feminine is always therapy sweet. And I'm like, no, no, it's not. Like no. if you look at the feminine as the ocean, which is also feminine, look at how <laughs> wild it is. Look at the mood swings that it has. And think about goddesses like Kali and Oshun. They yeah. like so, oh, there's so fire. much intensity there and fire and, yeah. you know, <laughs> and I'm just like, how did we get this? You know, this idea mm. that like, you have to be sweet as a woman, right? And that the true feminine is always so sweet. But I realized that a huge part of that comes from our trauma 
living in the system of patriarchy, right? Oppressive systems are deeply traumatic. So we then took that on and without even understanding it to keep the gold children alive, mothers from way back would teach them the way of survival. Don't stand out, be this. When he <laughs> says this, don't do that, you know? Agree with him, all that. So yeah. it wasn't because they were they were just doing that just to be, because they fully bought into the system. I also believe that a lot of it was, yes, they bought into the system because to fight it was scary, but this is how they knew, how this is how they learned to survive. And they wanted their daughters alive. So they'd rather, so they prefer to have them not fully shine brightly (laughs) and be alive, (laughs) then shine brightly and risk imprisonment and not being alive. So right now, a huge part of the work with us as women is to learn how to give ourselves permission to be visible, learn to give ourselves permission to not always be the agreeable girl the nice girl, the one who always smiles, the one who's always happy with things. I'm like, because when people say, oh, but this woman barely smiles, she's always angry. Like I always say to people, when men say that nonsense, I always say, well, you'd be angry too if you were living under a system of oppression 24 (laughs) seven. It's like, you also wouldn't see a reason to smile when, when you're constantly having to fight to earn equal amounts of money to a man if you're having if you can't walk around at night you know I'm just like you'd start Mm. to have problems as well so you would not be happy Mm. you know (laughs) and that usually like makes people (laughs) a lot of men just go like what's your problem yeah but it's well because they're not women they don't know how it feels what we go through and the pain that we feel not just for ourselves but like our female ancestors going back and exactly they don't have that connection to understand it and it's so interesting you're talking about this because this is the work that I do with my clients and it's just so fascinating what you're saying because it is all about visibility we were taught Mm. to be invisible And for so long, we shut our emotions down, we be a people pleaser, we sacrifice, and a lot of it's to do with our cultures as well. So I come from an Indian culture and, you know, you put on a good show, you smile in front of the community, everything is perfect, Mm. but inside you, there's so much turmoil. And that's where I got to at the age of 25 at that time, back in 2012, was I I looked amazing on paper, amazing job, career, life, Mm. everything going well. But I was so sad from within. I was so depressed and anxious. I wasn't living my truth. And when I started doing the inner work, oh my God, people didn't Mm. like it. (laughs) The voice came out. Oh, people won't. Yeah, just like, she's changed. What's wrong with her? Oh, she's got so much attitude. And it was like, no, I'm I'm speaking up. I'm holding boundaries. I'm trusting myself for the first time ever. And, you know, it it changed my circles a lot. Um, But also I realized even with my clients as well, when we talk about these things and what they're going through and where it stems from, the ancestor side as well, um, there were powerful goddesses and religious people, women who were so brave, like especially in the religion I grew up, so I grew up in in Sikhism, there were warrior women Mm. fighting and that's what I knew about a little bit about growing up, but there was all these warrior queens and suddenly we're told to be equal in this background that I grew up 
but then we're told to people please it was so conflicting so you one minute you want to be like it's powerhouse and the next minute oh no I need to do my light to make sure everybody's is is okay with how I am so there's a lot of people yeah with a lot of conflicting energy like they know like in their history there might have been like goddesses or like you know the Egyptian times they know all this history Mm. but somewhere in the middle some patriarchy system created this fear within us mm. created us to lose our power but actually we held so much power before and it's coming back yes. to that. yeah exactly wow. <laughs> right yeah. so I feel like that is so true and I think I kind of like uh saw this play out even mm. with my own mother right like my yeah. mom is so feminist you know she's such a feminist my grandmother too my grandmothers were to both of them like my dad is like his whole life has been surrounded by strong women so he (laughs) can't even imagine the idea of like telling a woman what to do you know Mm -hmm. and so growing up I was surrounded by all these incredible women But what I also saw was how in their romantic relationships, except my mother, my mother is like a breed of her own, I promise you. Love it. um, I saw a lot of women around me just believe that to get love from their husbands or their boyfriends, these really incredibly strong women, they mm. have to minimize themselves and make yeah. the their partner feel strong. They have to behave in a different manner so that they are invisible so their partner could feel bigger than they were. Yeah. Which is deeply, deeply distressing. I feel right? like it's fucked up. <laughs> I'm gonna be real it's fucked up up. (laughs) it really is completely fucked up you know so I feel like I observed that growing up I saw Mm. that growing up and it was deeply deeply fucked up you know completely fucked up and so um for me that was like a big thing that I observed growing up so it was the messaging that I got was you get to be strong and visible and feminist, but you also have to dim yourselves, uh, yourself to make others feel bigger than they are, you know, yes. to make yes. others feel comfortable with you. So I spent years doing that. I spent such a long time looking for approval from people, hoping mm. that they would approve of me because well, uh, please, I am so sorry that I'm shining this brightly, but please approve of me, you know? <laughs> and I didn't know how to do that. So I would go, it was even booms and busts, even invisibility. I'd be super visible, then I'd contract, expand mm. and be everywhere and then contract to be so small and not even want to leave the house. And like, especially when my first book came out, I'd be like, in the media, doing interviews, showing up, all these things. Mm -hmm. And then like I'd have, after like six or eight months of doing that, I'd go back into my shell for like six months and then I'd feel safe again and then go out. Why? Because it was just like, Mm -hmm. you need, I need to, if I keep growing and I keep becoming this visible, then I'm not palatable. Then people don't know what to do with me and I need to be liked and this is how I learned how to survive, right? Yeah. 
yeah. that's I relate with what you're saying that's so fascinating because I was the same <laughs> it's just so I, the same be visible within the press then disappear visible again disappear but it was because of my own you're right it was because we, the way we grew up you know we're not we we're not supposed to be loud and out there 24 7 we've got to tame it down a bit make sure everyone else is on the same page and then come back and then tame it and it took a long time to realize that it's okay to shine my bright and my light brightly it's okay to accept that this is who I am and this is my inner power and if someone has a problem with it that's our issue. It's nothing to do with me. It's their own trauma that is is triggering them. Yes, yes. Wow, exactly. And I don't think we even talk about that enough. Yeah. So I think that we think that it's, you know, I used to think that people are born just confident and being visible. And I'm like, no, you can learn all those things as you work through your trauma you give yourself permission to shine brightly and be fully in your power and, 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 and all of those things, you know? Yeah. I just want to share with you something actually just before there's something else I want to ask you. <laughs> but um, <laughs> It's fascinating. You're saying that because, so I used to be a journalist. So I was in the journalism world. Oh wow! Yeah. And I was all about being visible, right? So journalism visible showing up. And then when I left that world, because I, I realized it was so negative for me and I was always around negative news 24 seven. Oh yeah. It, it was draining. <laughs> it was a draining and it, it was yeah. holding me back and I, I didn't feel free. And when I did leave later on, I, I, I set up a business later, a few years later, but I was scared to be visible, which is interesting now talking about it with you. And it took me a long time to be like, this is me. It's okay to be out there. And it, it's just fascinating that I, it was okay being visible in a, in a system that was controlled, but I was afraid to be visible on my own terms. Mm, that makes all the sense in the world, though. Because if you think about it, isn't it kind of this small similarities around uh, let's say when someone is like at the top of their career, they yeah. visible within a company and they holding a C-suite position, COO or something, and then they have to go start their own business, being mm -hmm. visible in that area suddenly like freaks them out and they find <laughs> that they can't show up in the same way. Maybe they could be, they were a marketing genius in the corporate space and they mm -hmm. could do that. But when they have to do it for themselves, they can't do it. It's almost like the imposter right? syndrome comes out. Yeah, it's almost like that. But also, you know why? Because it's personal now. Mm. Before you could be visible. True. But if you were within a system and you had the tribe, you belong to a tribe, which was the yeah. journalism tribe. Right? right now when you have to go off and do your own thing you're on your own you have to be visible and it's just you you're responsible for that and it's no longer that you've got the tribe behind you that would back you up mm. so this is really really a big thing for us because as humans we are tribal creatures yeah. you know and so it's and for most of us that come from collective societies we are still um, learning how to do this individual thing, yeah. how to straddle individualism and collectivism. And I don't believe, I do not believe in pure, individual, in pure individualism because again, as I said, humans are very tribal creatures, mm. right? And so it's about, it's about learning how do we still 
live our own path and still exist within the tribe, which there were no tools even in the old days, in the Stone Age era. Our ancestors, if someone started being super individual, imagine in the Stone Age where people are like having to go hunt and gather <laughs> all these things. There's this one person who's like, I'm not going to do the duties of the tribe. I am an individual. I'm going to be a famous, well-known artist and I'm not going to do whatever. I'm just going to do whatever I want. That person is an extra mouth to feed and a problem. Mm. Or they just like... I don't believe in closing the gates at night. You're going to be kicked out of the tribe because you're putting the entire tribe in danger. Mm. So that one that stood out had to be kicked out to keep the majority alive, which makes sense because a lot, and I always say the majority of us as humans are here because our ancestors knew how to play by the rules. So now as we are wanting to establish ourselves, we're going uh, ourselves and shine brightly and be different from the tribe and be seen and showcase our great gifts. We also have to work with that, with mm -hmm. that trauma of if I'm different, I will be kicked out of the tribe. And that is very much ancestral as well. Wow. Wow. I'm blown away. <laughs> it's so true. It makes sense why so many women are, are afraid in their businesses and why they're yeah. afraid. Yeah, because it's it's that shame and yeah. Yeah, and like if you think about it, for women, we also wouldn't get married, right? Yeah. You, women would literally be told, you'll end up a spinster if you don't focus yeah. your entire life on finding a man. So when we look at this and people are like, ooh, pick me behavior, I'm like, nope, that's called ancestral behavior. Mm. Women have been behaving mm. like that for a very, very long time. It's now really not attractive and we're fighting against it. But a lot of this is also rooted in trauma. This is how we learn to survive. If you didn't have a partner, even as a, a, literally just we're talking about 100 years ago, yeah. if you didn't have a partner, you are most likely not going to be able to support yourself and you wouldn't know where your bread is coming from the next day. So you needed a man to survive. So this is still tied to survival. True. And you didn't even own your own property when you got married. Say, for example, you came up from a good background. The man would equally become the owner of the property then, which is, is, is insane when you think about it. Can you just imagine? <laughs> that, like, that always like drives me up the Oh, I'm always like, how? How, right? Like, yeah, yeah. And then on top of that, he would then be able to control you because he now has ownership of the property. Property that was yours, that was given to you by your family. Yeah. It's, wow. It's, it's insane. And then you have to change your surname and it's just like, wow. Like you really lose right? all identity, right? Yeah, of yourself. All oh. identity. Oh, complete identity, right? You lose your entire identity. And then you have, so you literally would, your survival at that point dependent, depended on you being nice to your husband <laughs> and praying to God that he was a nice man because he had no reason to be nice. There was nothing, he had no reason because he could control your money. He could do all, he had like, all the things, right? He had complete power. And when you think about it, 
how does a relationship where one person who has the majority of the power and the other has almost no power survive? How does that survive? So the only way to make to make do was for women to then learn quote unquote feminine wiles, right? And they would still shame for it. it well, it's not why, it's, that's why we hear this word compromise all the time, right? A woman must compromise. Yes. Ugh, yuck. <laughs> but I mean, have you not compromised enough already? Exactly. Like, your whole, <laughs> like you've compromised your entire existence, but you need to compromise even more to survive. Mm. And I think that's the thing. So we carry this ancestral knowledge within us. And it's not even the true knowledge, right? Because I always say to people, this is recent ancestral history for women. Because before then, women always knew who they were. So as we start to integrate this current, this recent trauma, we'll eventually get to the point where we start to remember who we truly are as women, Mm. you know, who our female ancestors before oppression truly and really were. And all that knowledge will come to the surface and we'll be able to embody that. But for now, we need to work through this trauma because it's so visceral, it's so in our faces, and we still live under the same system of oppression. Yes, we've had some wins and yes, there's still like a very long way to go. Mm, Not very long way. Very, very, very long way. Um, Oh, such a long way. (laughs) I'm just looking at the time. (laughs) We've got a few questions. Wow, we could be here for hours. I can see it. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I love it too. (laughs) Oh, bless. Um, Gosh, yeah. So I'd love you to just tell uh, um, the listeners about I'm sorry can you tell us about the the money magic course Mm, yes so my course the money magic course is a course that I developed uh that helped that helps people heal ancestral money trauma Uh, so we work on saving debt and increasing your income creating a consistent stream of income and scaling your business but the core part of the work is focused on trauma. There are practical parts to this, but it's all focused on healing money trauma. You don't do the course because trauma is layered. So everyone does the course in a different way. So what I love about the course is before, or when you sign up for the course, you have two coaching sessions with my trainee coach, also client onboarding specialist. And she works with you for the first month via WhatsApp. It's all included in your fees. You don't have to worry about that. And then you have one call with me and I tell you, and we try to figure out where do you work? Where do you start in the course? so that you start doing the work right now um, Mm. so that you can start shifting without having to go through the entire course because the course is extremely long and it is designed so that it can never be completed and I say this with complete confidence I've had clients that have been in the course for about four years And they've only done 10% of the course because they can see the progress. And they've often posted in the student group. There's also a support group, a student group that is extremely busy. Um, And that's where we also do the warm work every Wednesday. And people are always like, I can't believe I've been in this course for like four years and I'm still only 8% in, or I've only done 10% and I do the work consistently. The course isn't designed so that you complete it. 
because mm. trauma isn't about getting to a finish line. Yeah. You can still have a breakthrough just by doing like 1% of the work. But if you are doing the work that is really the key work that you're working on the root cause. And sometimes that may take a year just to work on one particular issue because you keep going deeper and deeper and you're unraveling and then you're going into the ancestral plane and you're doing more work on that. And then you're going into past lives and you're doing more work on that. So the work is extremely powerful. So yeah, that's the money magic course. Uh, did you want me to also share the pricing and how it works? Yeah, go for I it. openly share. Yeah, so yeah. the course is $8,888 US dollars once off, or else you have two payment plans, a 20-month payment plan, which is 444 US dollars per month for 20 months or 10 months, 888 US dollars for 10 months. And usually it's closed for registration, but people can get on the waiting list by just going to wealthy-money.com forward slash money magic. Again, wealthy-money.com forward slash money magic. When you are on the waiting list, you will get, um, you're automatically added into my free seven day training course where it's, um, it's called the seven day uh, training course around tapping into ancestral money wisdom. So you start learning how you can work, how you can, there's meditations in there as well and practical exercises on how you can start creating income in a way that is aligned with your ancestral gifts and the gifts of your bloodline and you will then you'll also be told how to sign up for the course if it's closed for registration which is usually you're just given a link to um, have a conversation with my trainee coach and she'll tell you about the course and answer all your questions there's also a video at the end of the the training on day seven, taking you into the behind the scenes of the Money Magic course, telling you more about the Money Magic course. But the seven day training is really great because it gives you an idea of what to um, expect with my work. Because a lot of people think they know what goes on into in trauma work and all that and I'm like no my work is nothing like what you've experienced before so <laughs> you need to kind of like train a bit and then get into the work and it will help you <laughs> I love it <laughs> I hear you I hear you 100 <laughs> percent yeah uh, that's amazing and I will definitely be adding links to on the show notes about this and um, we'll put them in there and um, I've got two more questions is what what do you um sorry what are your five top tips for someone who wants to be debt-free but they don't really know where to start mm, love this question because <laughs> this was me years ago so first things first is to focus look at your bank account for five minutes a day and just Spend five minutes a day looking at your bank accounts, then shut it down. Uh, I'm assuming you'll be doing internet, right? And then just spend five minutes focusing on your breathing, noticing the thoughts in your head. Do not try to change your breath. Don't try to uh, control your breathing in any way. Don't try to change your thoughts. Just become an observer. And what you're doing in that case is you're retraining the amygdala, the, the reptilian part of the brain, but also the oldest part of the brain to then stop reacting emotionally to money. You're starting to just be able to observe 
without reaction and you're training the brain to stop reacting to money every time it sees anything to do with money, right? And then the next thing is once you start feeling a bit calmer is to list all your debts on paper, right? So do it from the smallest to the largest. So then once you've done that, um, I would say start paying off. The third step is start paying off the smallest debt. So add an extra, if you can, double your payment to the smallest debt. Get it off the list and then cross it off, right? And then do that with the, and then all the money that you are paying for the smallest debt, put it towards the next debt and then pay that off and then do the same. Uh, the same thing with the next debt until you have just like two or one or two big debts left and then focus all the money that we're using to pay off all the other debts, use it to now pay more than the bare minimum for the big, uh, for the largest debt. I promise you, you're going to knock off that debt so much quicker. And then the fourth one is to also negotiate with your creditors. You will be shocked how many people are willing to give you a discount if you're willing to pay everything off all at once. If you have been bad at paying something or it's going to take you 20 something years to pay off a debt. If you call up, if you call up a creditor and you say, uh, can I please pay this off in uh, today and I will give you X amount for it. Most creditors are going to say yes. Most people that you owe or institutions you owe are going to say yes. And if you ask for a discount, they'll say yes. Why? Because in the long term, they having to contend with inflation, they having to contend with uh, uncertainty about the currency, etc. So they most likely to give you a discount and um, let you pay it off in bulk. So if you can do that, that's great. And then the fifth one that we very really think about, the fifth uh, step is at the same time as you're paying off your debt, have an emergency um, account, right? Put aside money for emergencies. I cannot stress this enough. Part of why I always recreated debt and always stayed in debt was because I would constantly, whenever I got into a crisis, I would constantly go back to credit cards because I didn't have any money set aside for emergencies. But when I had emer when I had that money set aside for emergencies, I was able to then start um, building up uh, to stop using credit cards. Mm. So that helped a lot. Wow. That's great. I actually relate with everything you're saying because that's actually kind of what I did. <laughs> everything you're saying. <laughs> oh, wow. I love it. Yeah, it's so powerful. And it's so true to start off yeah. with the smallest debt. Um, and yeah. I also did the thing where you said, like, where you call up um, the company and just say, like, you know, this is all I can afford. Like, I can pay this amount. Yes. Off and then I, they were like, yeah, sure. Then I went back the next day before agreeing it and got it reduced even more. And then the third time I did it, I knocked <laughs> off like 1500. I was like, perfect, done. And then just was like, That's oh it. my goodness, you would do it like several times. That's a good tip. <laughs> I just thought, let me test it out. I read it in a book years ago and I thought, you know what, let me just try it. I, I, because obviously I had fear with money that, you know, like yourself as well back in the day. Yeah. So I was already feeling uncomfortable having this conversation. But when I had that conversation, they were very calm about it. So then I thought, hmm, let me call again next day. Did it again. Then a few days later, I thought, let me just wait. And I was like, oh, I'll just get back to you. I'll just need to check that I've got enough. And I obviously had the money there, but I thought, hmm, let me just see if I can get a bit of a more discount. And then I did that and done. <laughs> 
Oh my goodness. It was so liberating. This is crazy. Like I thought like I was doing the most of just calling them up once, but yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Wow. Thanks for that tip. I'll now be telling my clients to do that several times then. (laughs) (laughs) But the key is to say that, oh, I just need to, I need to check. And then I'll get back to you Uh, because if you say, right, I'll pay it now, then you're, 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 you've just agreed to that price, but then you're like, "Mm, well, actually I've just realized I I might not have enough. So let me just get back to you the next day. Oh, actually, what if you did a reduced amount of this amount? Would that be okay? And then they're like, Mm. give me a moment. They had their little conversation with whoever they need to. And then they come back to him like, yeah, that's fine. I was like, what? So I was like, let me try it the third time. (laughs) Oh my God gosh okay you took it to the max you're you're (laughs) the real hero in this (laughs) you you really really did it that's amazing I wish I had thought to do that hey wow I think it was just that feeling of it being in my power and I think oh I was just like oh let's have some fun before it was like scary right the first time the first conversation but the second I was like oh this is fun let's try again it was kind of like being a child in like a playground (laughs) Yeah, I got my student loans in the US, like I was able to negotiate them with Sally May down by 50%. Wow. If I paid them upfront everything. Wow. You're the hero. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So I say to people, you never know what you can negotiate. Mm. You know, it's just, it's absolutely incredible. But again, as women, we're not taught to negotiate, right? That's another thing. We just put up even like salaries. We don't, we all, men are so like, yeah, "Yeah, I'm going to negotiate a higher pay, like a salary. But as women, we're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't overstep the mark. Again, it's the patriarchy energy. Yeah. We're just so grateful. I always say that. Like as women, we're just so grateful to have the job. (laughs) We're so grateful to be picked. You know, (laughs) it's crazy. It's madness. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my last question is, what shines your inner light? Mm, What shines my inner light? Yeah. I think for me, you know, like I think just um, having freedom, like I value my freedom so, so much. So Mm. I feel like when I am traveling and I feel truly free and I feel truly myself for me freedom isn't just that I'm free to travel it's that I am free to truly be myself and walk my own path and make my my own decisions and have my own choices that I feel really makes me shine and it's not just me that says this it's my clients they always go whenever I'm in South Africa visiting they go Van you need to leave again like we can see that like the just being home and not having that freedom to just travel and just do you is really like bogging you down you know so I've learned that like I truly shine when I am rested and when I'm free and when I'm traveling you know and when I'm just out in the road meeting new people like living in different countries learning new cultures new languages I feel like I come alive because I have a naturally curious spirit. 
-hmm. And I'm not trying, I'm not so obsessed with like feeling comfortable. I'm more obsessed with like learning new things and meeting new people, understanding new cultures. So this is, this really excites me. I love it. Thank you so much, (laughs) Vanila, just for sharing your truth and empowering so many people to, to take control of their finances and really heal their ancestral money trauma. Oh, thank you so much, Gerds, for having me on the show. This has been incredible. Thank you to all the listeners for listening in. Unfortunately, that's the end of the show. Before I leave, I want to leave you with this quote. Money is a tool. Used properly, it makes something beautiful. Used wrong, it makes a mess. That's a quote by Bradley Vinson. Take care, my sisters. Bye. For more information about the show or how to trust your inner light, visit my new coaching program at girdshundle.com. And remember, stay happy, stay healthy, stay lit. lit.